Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, welcome to this week's Driven Chat, where we are adding on a special bonus feature for you this week because, well, we just think you're great. We're going to give you the opening 25 minutes of my very long conversation with the incredible James May. I'll tell you how you can hear more of this interview a little bit later. But first, let's dive in, shall we, with the remarkable legend that is James May. James, how are you doing? Very well. How are you? And thank you for not saying in the world. Because that would have been depressing. <laughs> do you know, I actually made a mental note not to do that. And I thought, I'll, I'll forget that and I'll end up yeah, doing the have... world. First and foremost, James, this show is called Driven. Is that bringing back any memories for you? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, that was the very first. Apart from an appearance on Breakfast TV back in the early 90s, Driven, the original Channel 4 series, was the, the first bit of proper TV I did with Mike Brewer and Jason Barlow, who used to call it, of course, Driven, because he's from Northern Ireland. <laughs> Thus, us Driven. It was always his job to introduce the show, yes. That is a long time ago, I'm afraid, it's... 1999. What was it back in 98, 99, when you first appeared on telly? What was it that made you want to do that? Because, of course, prior to that, you were a journalist and, and you had various other jobs. What was it that made you think, I'm going to be on telly now? It wasn't my idea. I was approached by a man called Ben, who became the producer, and he had well, he was a fan of things like car magazines and travel magazines, which I was writing for, and he'd read my stuff, and he quite liked it. And he said, would you like to have a crack at doing some telly? So I said, yeah, all right. And then I just did it. Nobody really told us how to do it. But I was working with Mike Brewer, who was very experienced at TV, and I was with Jason Barlow, who I knew anyway. So we used to have a very nice time, actually. When we used to do our, our bit at the track, 
over in Essex. I used to drive over there on Sunday night. We stayed in this pub, really, which was always deserted. I can't remember what it was called. We used to refer to it as the Hotel du Crap because it was a bit terrible. Stay there on Sunday evenings, I think it was, and we'd sit together and we'd write a script on my old laptop and come up with some feeble jokes and a running order. We fairly, I mean, we sort of made it up as we went along. If we're honest, I mean, we knew what cars we had. I suppose the results were quite encouraging, really. The show was fairly popular. We didn't really know what we were doing, or uh, I didn't, and I don't think Jason Barlow did. And that gave it a sort of homespun charm, I suppose, which people quite liked. But inevitably, I was fired from that, like I have been from everything else in my life. So (laughs) I was only there for one season, and then I was gone. And then I was on to the original Top Gear at Pebble Mill, and, and I lasted on that for one season and then got fired as well. I'm just, I'm constantly waiting to be fired from everything I do. <laughs> that can't, I mean, that can't be a real fear anymore, surely. Well, it is a bit. I mean, one of the results of the coronavirus, quite a few bits of work I had planned, like, you know, another couple of travel shows following on from Our Man in Japan, the big specials for the Grand Tour, various other ideas I had. They've all been postponed, I mean, for the moment indefinitely because we can't travel, we can't do the sort of things we want to do with social distancing and quarantine rules in place. So I have this slight fear that I've actually retired and I just haven't realised it. (laughs) I may have been sort of fired by circumstance. I've been fired by the world. I mean, James, let's be frank. If you've been fired, what does that say about the rest of us? I mean, you know, you're a man who can call up a broadcaster with a top-line idea and boom, it's done. You know, the rest of us... I mean, if you're not in work, we're all in trouble. Well, that's very generous of you, but you don't know about all the ideas that I've fired at broadcasters that have just been sent straight back to me with a big nose scribbled on them. There are more of those than ones that have got through. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, how does it feel, though, James? Because, you know, the, the you that hosted Driven, that got fired from it, you know, last, last millennia, and from the Pebble Mill version of Top Gear and so on and so forth, would you have believed that 20 years later, you know, you did hold, and, and I know you've been very modest about it, but you do hold that, that sort of, I mean, you're, you're phenomenally well-known, and broadcasters, we all know this, they want a piece of it. Your name carries great weight. People will watch. James May presents. People will watch that. Whatever you're presenting, they'll come to it because you have a huge audience. It is rather humbling, and it remains very surprising. I mean, when I did things like, the reassembler, which is really me putting together an old telephone and explaining how it works. We, we filmed that, and then I was amazed when I saw they actually are going to put it on the television. I, I remember <laughs> doing a tweet saying, that, that God, someone's actually put it on the telly. And it still comes as a bit of a surprise, but it's not, it's not something I really dwell on or think about too much to be honest, because that way lies madness. James, I know we've got an awful lot to talk about, but it would be completely remiss of me, not early doors, to talk about the Top Gear. You know, Top Gear has been a huge part of your life. It is. It has dominated, you know, over a decade of your career. How was it? How was it? I mean, it started off quite sort of small, quite timidly, I suppose, and then yeah. it just kept growing and growing. I mean, I had no idea that would happen. I didn't know it would become the world's most watched factual program or whatever accolade it is we've got, you know, this might be a bit of a laugh and I would have, well, maybe two or three years before we were replaced by someone else or, you know, the idea became old and somebody came up with a new format. But look, here we are still doing pretty much the same thing as 
grand tour and now how it's what 17 years 18 years that's staggering when i think about it because i mean in many ways those 18 years have been filled with unimaginable adventure things i never ever thought i would do and and that i wouldn't have done in any other any other job i may have ended up in but also at the same time i have difficulty accounting for all those years because they were very busy they were hectic uh, we were traveling around a lot. We were bashing our heads against subjects. We were arguing. And then the next thing I know, I'm actually quite an old man. And I don't understand how that happened. But if I sit and write down, you know, a list of all the places we've been and all the things we've done, then I think, well, actually, that's, that's not a bad result for 18 years. When it started to get huge, when it really blew up, you know, you'd, you'd been doing the show for a few years. Did that change the pressure to how you approach the recordings, to the the scale of the events that you had to deliver? Or was it just you took it all in your stride because it was three mates doing what you do with the same crew in the same place? To, to be honest, I don't think it really made a difference to the way we worked. We never allowed ourselves to be swayed by anything like market research or metrics or any of that stuff that the world is obsessed with these days. We We always made the show we wanted to make. And to be honest, we always we always made a show for Britain on the BBC as we were on then. That that was the way we thought about it. And that happened to be popular all over the world. But if we then started trying to say, how can we make sure this is popular in, in Russia or how can we make sure the Americans will watch this, we'd have we'd have blown it because we'd have turned into a into a sort of branding exercise. We weren't. We were three blokes having a laugh making a TV show. It just happened to become enormous. Yeah, so so I mean that's amazing because I would have thought it would have Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I don't know, just become quite, quite frightening, you know, because it's so big. Well, I did, yeah, I don't know about frightening. If you stop and thought about it, you think, you think, crikey, how's that happened? But because it happened quite gradually, it wasn't like somebody becoming an overnight sensation because they they'd won Britain's Got Talent or something like that. That didn't happen to us. We grew from a from what we used to refer to as a pony ass car show into the into the big car show that everybody knows. But because because it wasn't sudden. I don't think we were we were too messed up by it. I like that you classify it as a car show, James, because I, I believe the technical term for it these days is it's an entertainment series, isn't it? Factual entertainment. It is factual entertainment. That is how it would be described in the world of TV. Not that that need necessarily bother other people who simply watch the television. This is quite a complicated subject. It was a car show, and it was ultimately about cars. And every now and then, we'd slip in a few things to make it clear that we did actually know broadly what we were talking about. 
but you're quite right that it was it, it gradually became more of a sort of real life sitcom i don't think i am a car expert or even a car nerd necessarily but i i sort of understand cars as an idea and i realized when i thought about it that all those columns and magazine articles I did for Car and Autocar and Top Gear magazine and the Daily Telegraph and Scotland and Sunday, Country Life, all these other people who I've written for and most of them inspired me. It was because cars were a, were a fashionable subject from the 90s onwards and they were a good thing to write about because starting from cars, which, is, which are of relevance to pretty much everybody, whether you drive or not, whether you use cars or not, they still have a massive impact on our lives and the way society is shaped. Starting with cars, you can make observations about everything, religion, politics, philosophy, science fiction, you know, everything. You yeah. can relate it all to cars. It's a great springboard. And I, and I realized that I ended up working on a car magazine way back in 1990, uh, you know, as a production person doing sub-editing, writing headlines and making the pages fit together and so on. And I liked the subject. And then I drifted in, having been fired by various magazines, I drifted into writing freelance. And cars was what I knew and the area I was familiar with. And then it became a great excuse for being a freelance writer. It might easily have happened with, I don't know, travel. I did do a bit of travel. It might have happened with the new tech if I'd ended up on Tomorrow's Technology Today magazine or Wired or something, I might have been doing something completely different. I would have still thought of it as a good platform for writing, even though I find writing very painful and I feel like I've sort of exhausted it in some ways. That, that was actually what blew my frock up. That's what made me hungry, which is why I always say to people, you know, if young people ask me for advice, I say, my advice is that 97% of all advice is crap, because generally it was, and most of it was for me. But if I was going to give another piece of advice to young people, I'd say you have to do something that genuinely excites you, not what you think you should do or what you're expected to do or what you think will make you a good living. You have to do something that you are in some way impassioned about, because if you're not, you won't enjoy it. And if you, won't, if you don't enjoy it, you won't do it well, and then you won't do well at it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Follow what you love and see what falls out. Absolutely, you must. Was there a time, James, back, um, back when young James was, was starting out, was there a time when you thought that you might become a musician? Because you're a very proficient flautist, I believe, and, and you can play the piano to a rather high standard. Yes, I was, I'm actually better on the piano. No, I, I mean, I did a music degree. I don't honestly think I, I ever imagined I would be a musician. That was another thing that I did because I happened to be able to do it. And I quite fancy going to university. You have to remember I was, I was pretty useless as a young person. I had no ambition and no vision for my future. I was pretty lazy and I was a very late developer. The future was always a grey fog. It still is a bit of a grey fog, to be honest. But there's a little bit of definition in it there. I love it. James, there's a few things that I've, um, I've had random facts that, that have kind of been swimming around in my mind about you for, for quite a long time now. And I, I don't know how many of them are true or not. Can I, can I just sense check a few? And then, and then I'd like to talk about theory tests because I know that, that you know, you've got a fantastic new app out, which we'll obviously discuss. And I also want to talk yeah. to you about cooking, incidentally, and, uh, and various other things. Oh, yeah. OK. If one of the questions is, is my dad really a priest? No, he isn't. Actually, no, that wasn't one of the questions, but this is a random thing that comes up when you Google yourself. I don't know if you ever do. Well, you know when you just put the name and then Google kind of fills in all those extra bits? It gives you options for, for what it might be. One of those... I'm going to As I have my laptop next to me as I'm talking to you, I'm going to start putting James into Google. Okay. Not what 
because I've got James Bond, James Martin, James Corden, James Hunt. No, you James... have to go. You have to go James May first. Obviously, you've got to put your, put your full bit in just to see what happens. I put James M. I'm one, two, three, four, five, six down. That's. I mean, that's heartbreaking, James. If you put James May in, then I. No, think... then I'm at the top with a yeah. terrible picture of me with a fat face. Right, James. Now you just stay there. Keep looking at that picture of yourself for the next couple of minutes, as we're going to ask you some questions all about you after the break and find out if they're true or not. Uh, you're listening to me, Andy J, in conversation with James May on a Driven special powered by Paramex. Driven with Andy J. Now, before the break, we told you I was going to ask James about some stories I've found out online about him to find out if they're true or if they're just complete fiction. So here we go. The first one. Is Brian May your brother? No, he's not, sadly. <laughs> I would love to have Brian May as my brother because he's great. Um, and he's fantastic hair. But, he does. Uh, <laughs> he does. He's a lovely, lovely man, and he saves the badges. A lovely man. Uh, slightly older than me, so isn't he? He'd have to be my big brother. He would be your big brother. We are not in any way related. I haven't knowingly met him. I know people who know Brian May, and they say he's, he's a lovely man, and I'm sure he is. He's interested in stars and badges and all sorts of really cool stuff. But, yes, and no. he's got a guitar made out of a Harley Davidson. Yes, all those things. He's, he's interesting, but he's not my brother. I, I'd love him to be my brother. No offence to my actual brother if he's listening. But uh, no, no relation, sorry. So I went down that wormhole, James, when I saw you know this, this thread about, about how there's this guy that's convinced your brothers. Okay, so I, I read through it. Do you know who else you're linked to as a, as a sibling? Theresa May. Yes, I've heard that one. <laughs> so supposedly my big sister. But um, <laughs> no, not also related. Also not true. Okay, good. That, that wasn't actually on my list of things to discuss with you, but, you know, you brought up family. I thought we'd, I thought we'd explore it. So, no, one of the random facts, and this isn't from, from Google. This is just from, from me somehow sort of knowing this. And, again, I might have made it up. Is it true that you once bought a lawnmower even though you didn't own a lawn just so you could tinker with it? Yes. That, <laughs> that is true. Well, there, there's a bit of a backstory to that. I, we, had, we had a fantastic lawnmower when I was a kid. It was quite old, actually. It was already quite old then. I think it was probably from the late 50s, early 60s. It was an Atco twin clutch cylinder lawnmower. And it was the first thing I learned to drive. It was not, not a sit-on one or anything glamorous like that, just a walk-behind mower. And I used to mow the grass all the time at home when I was a kid. We had a sort of a reasonably large rectangular lawn. And I bloody loved this lawnmower, getting it to work. And, and then I, my mum and dad moved to another house that didn't really have a big lawn. It had more more of a sort of undulating rockery. They didn't need the lawnmower anymore. And they gave it to a friend of mine who had just bought a house with a lawn. And then he sold it, which annoyed me. I'm still annoyed about it to this day. And then hundreds of years later, by which I mean about four years ago, we made the reassembler series and we decided to do a lawnmower. And a man delivered a lawnmower in bits from the British Lawnmower Museum, which is in Southport, I think, yes. And I said to him, I don't suppose you know the Atco twin clutch lawnmower, like the one I had when I was a kid. And he said, oh, we've got one of those. We've got two at the museum. We've got a spare one. You can have it, if you like, for this much money. So I said, yes, I'd love that. So, yes, I had this lawnmower in my garage with no lawn. But then I made up for that. A few years later, I went and bought a house that did have a lawn. Good. And did you use but the, the lawn Atco? Is on a, it's too steep for the Atco, so oh. I still have any grass with it. I just look at it <laughs> and smell it. It's really tragic, actually. I shouldn't admit to this stuff. 
Well, <laughs> smelling it's a slightly curious <laughs> aside, but yeah, no, that's great. Um, I've got a couple of other random facts for you before we could move on to more serious conversations. Um, and, and this one I believe is true, but I, I, I would love to hear the story behind it. Um, stop Go me on. if you know where I'm going. It involves Gordon Ramsay and a bull penis. Yes. Well, it depends <laughs> what fish Gordon Ramsay and a bull's penis you've heard. There is a true story about Gordon Ramsay and a bull's penis. What, what have you heard? Well, <laughs> again, the internet's got its own versions, but, but the one I've heard, uh, in fact, I think I've seen you do this, is you, you and Gordon Ramsay had a, had a food-eating competition, and on the menu was bull's penis and, and rotten shark, and you won. Yes, that is true. That was on the F word quite a long time ago now. Yes, I, I think it, there was a sort of manhood challenge from Gordon Ramsay. Can you eat these potentially quite foul things, culminating in the rotten shark meat from Iceland, which is famously horrible. But I'm okay at eating hot things or fairly disgusting things. And he's a, he's actually a bit delicate, Gordon, bless him. Is he? And I think, yeah, I think he got, I don't think the bull's penis bothered him. What was the other? It was, there was a bull's penis. I think there was testicles, and then eventually the rotten shark meat. But he couldn't do the shark meat, and I managed. I mean, I I, I did wobble a bit as I put it in my mouth, and I remember thinking, I've got to keep a straight face and look calm here because if I can just stand it for another five or ten seconds, I think Gordon's going to puke, and then he did. <laughs> And then I knew I was on the way to victory. Nothing could. <laughs> oh, it's so. I mean, even just thinking about it's making me feel a bit queasy. So <laughs> good for you for going through with it. I mean, is that does that sort of show that you've got quite a competitive side? Because it's that wouldn't be apparent. No, I, I don't think I am at all competitive. I think that's why I I was held back for so many years. I don't really care, <laughs> to be honest. But I just thought it would be amusing, actually, if I could manage to outwit Gordon Ramsay at eating. I have to say, I didn't go from there and start saying to people, we must go out tonight and have rotten shark meat from Iceland. It's wonderful. I've never eaten it since. <laughs> Every time people bring it up, I just say, oh, yeah, I've had that. I don't try I've had it. You've certainly done some things that people would, would describe as not normal, you know, quite strange. You know, uh, I, I remember watching, well, it was very recently, earlier this earlier this year, you, you carried, well, you helped to carry a float with a one-ton willy on it. That seems quite quite comedic and absurd to us, and it's to all the many hundreds of thousands of Instagrammers who go to that festival in Kawasaki simply to be photographed either eating a penis-shaped ice lolly or helping to carry a giant penis. It's a simple fertility thing in Japan. It's not pornographic, it's not lewd, it's not considered embarrassing in any way. It's just, I mean, it all goes back to an ancient fertility festival where people could go to be blessed in the hope that they would have children. And it's turned into this, you know, it is a massive Instagram festival now of, of giant penises. But it, it, it all has quite deep and sincere spiritual meaning. The trouble is, as soon as you put a bloke from, a, a sort of slightly awkward bloke from Britain underneath the giant <laughs> and very heavy <laughs> penis, it becomes comedic. Yeah. But it isn't really. I love it. And it just sort of highlights the kind of bizarre nature of the things that you've had access to. And, and part of that is the privilege of television, of course. You know, we, when you're on camera, you have access to things that, that, that the common man, as it were, doesn't necessarily be able to ex get exposed to on a regular basis. So you have seen some incredibly diverse and remarkable things. What really stands out for you? When I say to you, what's the most kind of crazy or fascinating or remarkable thing you've seen? What, what comes to mind? Big things, it would be, for example, the flight I did in the U-2 spy plane up at 70-something thousand feet with um, the U.S. Air Force so I could see the edge of the atmosphere and the curvature of the Earth. That was amazing. And I know that, you know, apart from the people who actually fly those high-altitude spy planes, and there's only a handful of them, nobody's really done that. I think only 
two civilians have ever been up in that, and I'm one of them. And it was um, it really breath, genuinely breathtaking experience, partly because I had a spacesuit on and had to breathe oxygen and so on. You have to yeah. sort of suck it in quite hard and consciously. One of the most popular things I've done on TV, certainly one of the longest running, it, it's always being repeated. It keeps coming up on YouTube and preview and all over the place and people still send me tweets and things about it saying oh you were very lucky to do that and it was how long ago was it must be 12 years yeah yeah it was quite something like that i mean it's it's back when i had dark hair and a fresh face i mean when you were up there were you aware of the privilege or were you just too awestruck by what was happening no i was aware i was aware of it right from the point where they they agreed to take me up because we were talking about making a program about space and they said, well, one sequence in this is you could you could potentially do the closest thing a, a normal person could do to being an astronaut, which is going in a high-altitude flight, but, you know, in a spy plane. And we could insert this as a section in the film, you know, like a little five- or six-minute sequence. But everybody said, it's highly unlikely. They're not going to agree to it. Why would, you know, the U.S. Air Force, a secret, a secretive arm of the U.S. Air Force, agree to take a British civilian up in one of their spy planes? They've only got one two-seater. But anyway, the producer went through the motions and rang up the airbase and got through to the colonel or the or the major or whoever ran it and, and, and he said oh i don't suppose if we sent one of our tv presenters over you could take him up for a flight in a u2 and he went hell yeah come wow. across wow. We were, wow we were just so so as a result of that because you have to do quite a bit of you have to do quite a bit of training before you're allowed in it you have to learn about the space so you have to you have to learn about what happens should you bail out because if you have to eject at 70 you know over seventy thousand feet over California, you can land in a desert, you can land in, in an urban area, you can land in the sea, you can land in something a bit like a jungle. So you have to you have to understand all the survival procedures and how to do it. So there's you know, you have to understand decompression and the effects and what it will feel like. So there was three or four days of quite intense training before I was even allowed near the aeroplane. So having done all that, you know, the producer said, if we film all of this, we can use it as a sequence in our film about space. But we can also make a separate half an hour documentary just about going up on this yeah. high altitude flight, which we did, and that was that was the blockbuster. That was the thing that has remained very popular ever since. This is such a cool thing to do. I mean, with all that training as well, James, and, and the experience—not just with that, with, but with so many of the other things that you've done—does that mean you're you're pretty handy in a crisis? Uh, well, I like to think I'm reasonably calm in one. I don't like panic, but some things do make me very jittery. Like, you know, I don't like heights, famously, even though I've just been talking about getting high up. It doesn't get much higher like, than where you've been, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't like high buildings and that sort of thing. Yes, I try not to panic. I hope I, I remain reasonably calm. Like, are you the guy to sit next to on a flight where suddenly horrific turbulence hits and everyone else is screaming? Are you the guy that's there going, it's okay, don't worry, it's just pockets of air? Actually, yes. Well, I, I have been in that position once. I was on a, not a long flight, it was a European one, but I was sitting next to a, a nun from Italy, I think, and it was quite turbulent on takeoff and climb, and she was very nervous and had a rosary beat going, and I could tell she was terrified, so I, I held a hand for her, and she quite liked that. She was um, reassured. You'd think a nun would actually seek the assurance from God rather than from a scruffy bloke who happened to be sitting next to her. Yeah, but... she should be turning to you saying, it's okay, I got this, not, you know, not the other yeah, way around. Yeah. I was holding her hand because I was terrified, but I, I just didn't let her know that. You've talked a lot about the pressures of, of being a modern man and, and what manliness is these days. It's ever-changing, isn't it? I think it probably is. We first addressed this when we made Man Lab, 
years ago. And that was a bit, I mean, it was a joke. It wasn't really that serious, but it was a, the new shape of the male backlash, which is that men, you know, we've had enough of all this pretending we're endearingly useless and laddish. We need to go back to being useful because that's what people want of us. But I think it's moved on quite a bit since then. We were a bit ahead of our time with that thought, but it's moved on quite a lot since we had those sort of rather fatuous ideas. I think you know, manly is as manly does, probably. Uh, the distinction between the roles of men and women has been blurring and melding for well, as long as I've been alive and you know, a long time before that as well. I don't know what it means these days. It's become a slightly risky term, hasn't it? The idea of declaring yourself a man or declaring yourself to be anything in particular is probably deeply unfashionable. And that's probably quite a good thing. I, I, I like these things being constantly questioned. That's the way the world moves forward. I, I know a lot of people, including some of my work colleagues, get upset with the young people because, oh, they question everything and they pull you up on everything and they won't let you say this and they won't let you say that. And I think, well, yeah, that's quite annoying. And a lot of what they're talking about will turn out to be nonsense, just like a lot of what we talked about turned out to be nonsense. But amongst them, there might be, a, I don't know, a Martin Luther King or an Elizabeth Fry or someone like that. So the process has to be allowed to happen. Mm. And we have to accept that the future belongs to the young and it's their job to just basically make us redundant and question everything we thought was sacrosanct. I've made that rather complicated, but back to your original question, what does it mean to be a man in the modern world? I think the most manly thing you can do is be open-minded, really. How cool is that? Now, if you'd like to hear the whole chat that we did with James May, and there's uh, over an hour more of he and I just chatting about life and the world, then check out the Driven Celebrities podcast. It's the podcast that accompanies the radio show Driven, and it's where there's a whole load of back catalogue of celebrity conversations. James May is in the Driven Celebrities podcast, episode number eight, if you'd like to hear the whole chat. Now it's time for our main event here on this week's Driven Chat the marvellous Dan Macken from Caffeine and Machine. Hello there. It's time for another Driven Chat podcast. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm very, very excited about this Driven Chat podcast. As you know, we have the Driven Chat truck, which is our wonderful portable TV and radio studio that we take all over the country to record all sorts of different things. And today, we have pitched up at one of the coolest places in a petrol head's existence. We're, we're in the, we are genuinely, we're parked in the grounds of Caffeine and Machine. As I look out of the window of the truck, I should call it studio, shouldn't I? I keep calling it <laughs> truck. I'm looking at that now incredibly famous building. I'm seeing people arrive. There's a hubbub. There's amazing cars here. The food's phenomenal. We've stayed the night. It was brilliant. And so we're going to bring you some special podcasts from Caffeine and Machine. And to do that... We need some special guests. So I'm going to give you a little jingly jingle, and then we're going to dive in. Here we go. The Driven Chat Podcast in association Ooh. with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. And we are bringing to life some dreams right now because we're in Caffeine and Machine. And John Markar, this is mostly thanks to you. Oh, well, thank you. It's, I'm actually really chuffed that we're here because this is a, it's almost become like a second home for me. And in fact, true story, which we'll go into probably in a little bit, I, I even nearly moved in, nearly moved in on site. That, that came very close. But our, our, our first guest in uh, for this week's podcast is probably one of the best people we could we could ever dream of having on location here, Mr. Daniel Macken. Thank you very much. Hi, Dan. <laughs> you're so kind. You're so kind. I feel like you've picked me up to something that's destined for failure now. No, no, no. <laughs> never, never. 
So Dan, you... there's a pressure with that, isn't it? One of the best people yeah, we could say, have for yeah. here. Start for here, but, for here. You know, exactly. You might here. as you might as well start start at the top. Get get one of the owners in. <laughs> yeah. You know. So but yeah. Home. So yeah. Dan, you are a co-owner, co-founder, yeah, co-creative, co-everything. So yeah, pretty much. Oh. Um, I certainly won't be taking too much credit where it's not due, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll certainly I'll potentially take a bit for for the fact that it works and it's open and it's uh, yeah, and and all the less interesting bits that come with it tends to kind of be where. Um, the, the stresses of day-to-day life with, with Caffeine and Machine come. Um, so myself and Phil McGovern uh, opened this this building um, with a, a wealth of help from lots of other people uh, back in October of 2018, the 27th. I recall it fondly. Um, <laughs> and I remember it well because I was sat on... Um, well, basically, I'd taken a position behind the coffee machine and that was my job for the day. And at quarter to 12, <laughs> 15 minutes before open time, Phil tapped me on the shoulder and said, ah... We've got a slight problem that the car park's full and people are queuing to get in, and we were 15 minutes before open, and that's basically where the whirlwind started, um, in its current form. <laughs> but but as you'll know, it, it it sort of started in certainly in Phil's head many years prior, um, and subsequently in mine, um, probably towards the end of 2016. So that's a, I'm glad you said that because what I want to do is go back in time a little sure. bit. Um, so. Correct me where I'm wrong, or interrupt me where I'm wrong. You were working in banking for Barclays in Dubai, yeah. Ooh. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> that's a bit of a leap. It's a leap, yeah. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> a, leap, a leap or a fall, or I'm not really sure how you want to uh, how you want to describe it, but um, yeah, it's it, it basically took a bit of a roundabout trip. So my my only work prior to this has been um, in finance and in, in banking, and I started out at Barclays, um, and after a few years of brief spell in, in Aberdeen in Scotland, um, doing some oil and gas stuff, and then down into to London, where I got involved in um, sort of foreign exchange, basically. So sales, um, working with the, the time sort of smaller businesses to help them deal with the trials and tribulations of international trade. Um, it all sounds very dull. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then moved over to Dubai to, to take on a slightly different role, um, to do something in a, in a country that I had absolutely no intention whatsoever of, of ever thinking, well, I want to one day grow up and end up in Dubai. Um, but loved it. It was really good fun. It was sort of a, a short-lived thing. I never really felt that I wanted to be there for a great period of time. Um, and Barclays made a few changes out there, and I met Phil. So we together were part of a, a startup bank, which sounds incredibly audacious, <laughs> a, bit, a bit ahead of itself. But uh, but it was based on the whole. Um, I don't know if you've heard of any like Monzo or yeah. uh, Tandem or any of those those. And sort of neo banks they referred to like digital banks and we basically put the bl- the blueprint in place for that um so phil and i met there and um as soon as we met i, I remember walking through the door and he was sort of sat in the corner i was like i introduced myself and kind of thinking why why is this man sat on his <laughs> sat on his own in, in the corner he's like <laughs> oh yeah i just i just wanted to just go and find my own little space and i think that's kind of kind of sums up phil really because he He's incredibly creative and full of just a wealth of ideas, uh, you know, and, and the, the consequence and the result of that is is caffeine and machine as you see it. Um, so the two of you meet, yeah. you get talking about a common interest, probably cars. Yeah. And how do you then go from that conversation to, tell you what, let's both get on a plane, let's leave yeah. Dubai, let's go to Warwickshire and start this <laughs> pub, coffee shop, art gallery, meeting point, photo location, yeah. all around the automotive world how on yeah, earth did it, that happen uh, the short answer is i'm not really sure um <laughs> it almost sounds a bit like a, a midlife crisis but i think at the time i was 27 um so that's not a great life expectancy <laughs> no it's not <laughs> we'll just we'll just we'll just call it uh call it early 50s. um but uh but yeah effectively we we kind of 
it all stemmed from me going along to the culminating event in Dubai, which was down at um, the Dubai ports. And it was just, you know, I'd seen photos of Caffeine and Machine and I'd heard Phil's vision, which is absolutely what I, you know, I sort of bought into. And he'd been saying for such a long time that, you know, I've, I've wanted to do this. and I feel like I've searched all over the place to try and find whether this thing actually exists. You know, yeah. he'd been all over the Middle East. He spent a lot of time in, in North America. Um, you should have just used Google. Yeah, I mean, it's it would have saved a lot of money. So much cheaper. Um, but in, on that point, though, I need to be fair. It's it's one of those things that the amount of times people walk through the door here and they say, "God, I didn't think it would look like this," because right. the only way that they can sort of get any gauge of what it's like is from either Instagram or mm. Google or the website mm-hmm. or what have you. Loads of people say, "I didn't realize how big it was." So obviously, we're sat down now at the sort of the, the bottom of the garden, if you like. Although there's a there's still a field on the other side of us here. Yeah, so, you've got you know, a lot of land here. How, it, how many acres is this so plot on? It kind of varies. I don't think anyone actually really knows because <laughs> the, it gets a bit sort of hairy into into the woods. But it's about seven. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I, so. You see, I want to be in that situation where someone <laughs> asks me how much land <laughs> yeah, I've got, yeah, yeah. and my <laughs> answer is I don't think anyone actually knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's the safer bet. Yeah. That's that's the definition of wealth <laughs> when nobody can tell you how much land you've got. <laughs> then you know you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so effectively, we we went along to this event and it was just. It was like nothing I'd really, I certainly wasn't expecting it. And I'd seen the smaller events that he'd done in um, in little sort of coffee shops in and around Dubai. And effectively, from that, from that stage, I thought, okay, this is really cool. It was ever-evolving. He would do mm. different events. It all started air-cooled stuff, as you may well be surprised, yeah, given Phil. that it's Phil. Um, you know, and, and his love for anything sort of old and German, probably. Yeah. Um, so, so from there, we saw the um, Dubai Ports event. And I was just like, you know, I'm... If I can do anything to help you make this a reality, then then I'm in. Sign me up. If it means moving country, so it's investing. quite a it's quite a crucial point that you make because I think this is a big part of the story that not a lot of people know. A lot of people see the Caffeine Machine logo and they see 2015 and they say, "Oh, yeah. so you've been here on site since 2015?" That's not the case at all. The events Caffeine and Machine as a brand started as events Correct. in a space that isn't owned or wasn't owned by Caffeine Machine. Absolutely, in all different corners of the world. Yeah, and then. This, but this is the first actual physical building hub. Yeah. So the idea came, and I remember Phil phoning me up to talk about this idea of this space that he was having at the time. I was still working in London and living in London, and I was like, God, that, that was. It was a really exciting phone call because I wanted to try and get my head around what on earth he was proposing. Uh, and then said, as soon as I got a site, I'll phone you. Come up, and then in that time, I'd ended up moving just up the road, and mm-hmm. um, and I came along to what was at the time a. I think fair to say dilapidated bed and breakfast mm. that had maybe not been maintained or decorated for the best part of 30 odd years by the previous owners yeah. and I think Phil at the time was saying yeah no we'll throw they, some paint on the walls they live 30 yards from us they do so be careful how loud <laughs> <laughs> but the I, I, could, I, I, I just want to say that Dan is currently blushing <laughs> <laughs> and, and understandably so he's <laughs> giving John those evil eyes of John remember what on. we talked about before we started recording those lovely neighbours we just decided for a little update <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I remember Phil saying um, oh, you know the plan is we'll throw some paint on the walls and um, you know put some carpet where we need carpet and 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 it'll be great. And then within about you didn't tell me that. <laughs> well, I remember that being the initial chat. And then within about two or three days later, Phil was like, "No, this is this is going to be quite a big project." So Taking out a couple of walls. Can you yeah? Can you give like a, an insight? Because again, a lot of people now know an awful lot of people now know what Caffeine Machine is. A lot of people have been, but they I think 
it's very easy for people to, to just imagine, oh, right, so you it just moved into up. this B&B, yeah. painted the walls white and, and put some parking areas outside. That, that yeah. must have been easy. It was one hell of a project, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. You, so you were I saying think... last night that you were p- p- what, ch- checking up some plaster and there was suddenly, like, you could see through to the next room. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally, there was horse hair and all sorts wow. in there, you know, like, we're, it's a really, really Horse old hair? Thing. Yeah, because that's what they used to, like, the whole Latin plaster and all that sort really? of stuff. Yeah. From, I mean, it's got such character, um, and it makes it a nightmare to try and do sort of a restoration project when there isn't a single straight edge in the entire <laughs> building. You know, this thing is... It's old. Yeah. Um, so it also explains why I heard whinnying in my room at like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were hoping that we, <laughs> we kind of filled in all the gaps. So I'm hoping you have much of a draft. <laughs> but, uh, it but was yeah. the ghost of black beauty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, I won't go there. <laughs> oh, no, do go there. <laughs> they say that the, the, the legacy is that, who is anyone in room eight? Uh, at the end of the corridor? No. Okay. I was in seven. I was next door. Okay. Well, you may have heard. But apparently okay. roommate was the, the one that was haunted way back when. I hope uh, this is the one that John was trying to get me the keys for. He was like, go roommate, roommate. <laughs> yeah, go roommate. By the way, it locks. So uh, you won't, uh, once you're in, you're in That's forever. It. <laughs> um, it's the early version of a panic room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a game. Just uh, a lot less exciting. But, um, but yeah, so to, to do that sort of restoration. Uh, so just to take a step back ever so slightly. So on the, the way back, um, when Phil um, and his family made the journey back over to the UK, while we were doing that build pro- process, my involvement on the day-to-day running of, of Caffeine the Machine was to try and help um, Phil sort of run it, really, but also the, the legalities that go with running an organisation, particularly one that now, I mean, at, at the height of the summer, we were over 50 members of Staff Strong, and so you've got all the all the various bits and pieces that go there, all your health and safety, all your licensing mm. chat, all your, you know, the dealing with the local community and... There's a lot to do aside from just making this place really cool and, and yeah. serving a nice burger and some chips. So my, my initial intention was to to help from afar and sort of a bit of weekend support here and there and to help um, help try and, and run it and direct the business in conjunction with Phil. Um, he's one of those people that he's incredibly creative and I absolutely buy into to what he what he stands for because I kind of I implicitly trust him with any decision that he has to, to make around sort of the brand and, and all that sort of stuff. And he trusts me with trying to make it work operationally. At the end of the day it's a business, so it has to make money. So I think from his creative background and the fact that I have a bit of an affinity with numbers, um, and a bit of common sense from time to time. Um, <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah, you're very kind. Um, <laughs> between all of us, we, we have a, a good team that can try and make it run. So this restoration project I was still working in Dublin at the time, so big around the houses. Do you just love pl- places with D in them? Yeah, D <laughs> specifically. Yeah. 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 Being specific. um, but yeah, it's uh, it, that's exactly what it was. So Did I you want to call this Daphne and Machine? Yeah, da- yeah exactly. <laughs> just to and machine. keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why you're undriven. Because why not? To be fair. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I saw it's a D. Yeah, no, go yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. I'm We're very good. Particular. Fourth letter of the alphabet. Yeah, exactly. D for Dan. You know, I'm very, I'm very arrogant, really. So, so yeah, so I was actually back at Barclays just for a short stint while I'm overshot the UK and ended up in, in Ireland um, and was commuting back every weekend um, the joys of Aer Lingus. I mean, I could... Aer Lingus? Aer Lingus. I just, <laughs> They're not Welsh, John. Just like... <laughs> hint of Russian. Um, so, so, yeah, so that, that was it. And they basically tore down... Um, I say tore down. Replaced all the, the wiring, the plumbing, the fire system, every carpet, wall, ceiling was all redone, plaster everywhere. Um, it was it was mammoth to the I've extent where you kind of think you'd be better off just knocking it down. Yeah, you know, it, it would have been a, a 
a more straightforward project. But I'm glad you didn't, though. What yeah, a yeah. Didn't. What a beautiful building. And yeah. that, that's the thing, you know. And we, when we speak to um, sort of, so we're actually on an estate. So we, we're the leasehold. This is a an, sort of a, an estate, the Shirley Estate, which have they have a lot of land around this area. And um, when you speak to, to to those guys, they're just delighted by the fact that someone loves their building as much as they do, you mm. know. And and they've seen us, you know, put a significant investment into this to make it work. Um, and and that kind of is is reciprocated in the the help and the support that they give us as well. So, it's um, yeah, it's been a bit of a a wild ride, but you know, it's there's still bits. I mean, when we look at it, there's always still bits that you want to tweak. I think oh, we never really got around just, to doing just that. like any homeowner. I think that's basically, it. yeah, it's we never could use job. a second jacuzzi. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so that that's kind of it really. It was yeah, it was a, a bit of a mammoth task. And then on the uh, the twenty seventh of October, it was open to the masses and, and it kind of was a bit silly it kind of went uh, it was a because i was there for the launch weekend i, well, you I there before the launch weekend weren't you? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely so i hosted very proud to say the first event at yeah. caffeine and machine before the doors had even opened so that was lovely me and my little travel Dad. company oh. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> me and my little travel company um we we needed to launch something and phil had very kindly said oh well yeah come and do this and i think at that time the front windows were still or the, the, the yeah. big folding doors they were still boarded board. up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Talk I about a nice aesthetic yeah. when you're driving the driveway. People were turning up and going, so what is this yeah. place? And we were like, oh, come back in a couple warehouse. of weeks and, and it'll yeah. make sense. But yeah, then that opening weekend came. I, I immediately held up my hands and said, look, I'll, let me come and help. Um, so I had a lot of me, me and a lot of my mates here to help get the car park covered. Yeah. And I remember that you've, you've brilliantly told the story of the, the car park being full by... Twelve o'clock, or was, I feel like it was earlier than that. Actually, I, I remember at quarter two we had the I had the, the tap on the shoulder from Phil saying we might need to. Think and we'd of a, said a backup plan here. We'd said the official opening time was midday. midday. Mm. Don't come before midday, and by quarter to midday, we had blocked the road, yeah. the entire road network. And I think we counted something <laughs> like six hundred cars. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we yes. had something like six hundred. Ever so cars. briefly, the road was temporarily blocked. Ever <laughs> yes. so quickly, and it was all back to normal. And luckily, it's never happened since. Correct, that's not true. But yeah, correct. <laughs> um, but that was it, you know. And to your point, we asked people to to come at, at midday, and we did have sort of half eight, quarter to yeah. nine arrivals, wow. and and that was it. And you know, and you're almost like, oh, just give us a chance. Like the coffee machine's not even, it's not even on yet. And then, but the problem is, obviously, that you're then playing catch up the entire day, and you're yeah. trying to think, well, you know, how are we, how are we possibly going to catch this up? I remember the general conversation amongst all the staff and the helpers and people that had arrived. They said, well, they, you know, it, obviously, it's going to be busy for the first weekend, but things will calm down now. Like, <laughs> obviously, you guys are open every single day, seven days a week. Yeah. The common question that I always get asked about this place is, oh, is it just a weekend venue? No, no, no. This place is open every single day of the week. Mm. And we all said, well, at least Monday to Friday will be a bit calmer. No, it wasn't. It no. was just as busy. Then the following weekend, it was just as busy, and it just didn't stop. It didn't, yeah. There and was, it's it still was relentless. Really, hasn't. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is sort of this is it, really. And it's trying to manage that. And you know, I, I get it regularly. What a wonderful problem to have. And mm. that's absolutely right because it, it could be an awful lot worse. But it's still a real headache. You know, yeah. there's mm. still lots of things to fix, and there's there's knock on effects. And we joke about the road and stuff, but. The, the busiest weekend where it all kind of came to a head was the 24th of February. Um, so of all the weekends to get absolutely round, a cold one in February doesn't really seem like the most logical yeah. one. But we'd, had, we'd had quite a lot of rain beforehand, um, which rules out our little overflow parking yep. area. So because the weather was really good and it was one of those beautiful winter mornings, like crystal clear skies, like really crisp feel, but just 
amazing. And this place looks so nice in the, like when it's all frost on the ground and what you've seen it. Um, <laughs> once or twice. Once or twice. Um, and, and that was it, you know, and we just had this I don't know, swarm of people wonderfully bother to come and come yeah. and visit us um but again we then had that, that was the the worst time where the road wasn't necessarily blocked but it was just there were just cars it parked on the verges yeah that's right i remember it. yeah well. and it was um it was it was a difficult one to manage and um, that's and it was it, soon after that we had to try and think well how do we tweak this model that's right and and the the issue there and again there will be a lot of people listening to this going oh no boohoo like, like, too yeah, many yeah. people trying yeah. to get in oh when you're a victim of your own success yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you're you're <laughs> such an integral part of this community now locally you've got a village that way you've got Ettington in one direction you've got Stratford-upon-Avon in the other direction there's a lot of roads you've got the Foss Way which is an iconic road that people travel from all over the country to drive some of them at about three o'clock in the morning when I'm that's very true chatting to horses (laughs) (laughs) but the of course what the one thing you don't want to do especially as a venue that is attracting cars motorcycles a lot of them with yeah, quite loud exhaust exhaust pipes. You don't want to upset the neighbours, no. and it's become you know it, that has been such a fascinating thing to watch in the sense of the people that come here. Some just they they don't get that, mm. and a lot of people wouldn't expect you as the owners. It's like this cool kind of rock and roll venue where yeah, I can turn up on my loud goes. Harley or my yeah. straight piped. Lexus V8, yeah. and then we've mentioned cars. Yes, <laughs> nineteen minutes into a car pod, we've actually used a couple of car names. All right. Yeah, the funny thing, you know, here's the thing: we all love the sound of a car. We all love the sound of a of a motorbike. But what we don't want is is to be upsetting the the neighbours, yeah. and that has been a real a real sticking point and, a, and a, a strong challenge for both yourself and Phil and all the other members of staff here is that, yes, we want people to come, but also we want to keep everyone happy. Yeah. And it's a it's Is that been the reason real... why you cancelled the ABBA tribute band? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just thought, let's kill that. Yeah. Let's just let's keep it to what we know. Because that carries. You know, we know that soundtracks. <laughs> maybe, there's a, maybe we should try it again. Maybe we should bring them back. Um, but I, I think, I mean, there's, there's loads here, so just stop me when I get boring. Um, but Just mention some cars at some point. Cars, yeah. <laughs> right, P one on the uh, on the hill, which I absolutely love. Oh, you yeah. saw that? Scooby just hiding on the tree. Um, anyway, back to off cars. Back to more exciting <laughs> things of uh, <laughs> people travelling through villages. Um, but it's exactly that, and there's there's a, a, a couple of bits there. But you're absolutely right that the Foss and the roads around here, you know, they're in like BritishHeritage.com mm. and on AA's Great British Driving Roads. This area is known for for attracting people to it, for having yep. a, a nice drive out. When you put our venue there as well, you know, and I'm not going to hide behind it and say that we haven't brought more people to, to this part of the of the country because we obviously have. Mm. Similarly, we don't have a, a pavement and we don't have a bus stop. Yeah. So yeah. your only way of getting to this business, which is a commercial entity, is to drive to it. Yeah. Um, so we do all that we can to, to try and make sure that it's safe. You know, we've got a... A camp, a don't be a Richard campaign where we ask people <laughs> not to not to leave. Um, and the self policing that goes on here is. Um, I should just is, point out, not uh, not asking people not to leave, but not to leave with a. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 you're in now. That's yeah. it. You're, yeah, you're here. Just good. Don't leave. Um, like um, so, but uh, we can we can we can say that the slogan, as everyone will have seen, is "Don't be a dick." Yeah, and exactly. it makes perfect sense. It was a kind of. Um, I don't know if there was much thought that went into it at the time, but it just seemed to work. Somebody came up with this: just yeah, leave nicely, don't be a yeah. dick, don't don't do a burnout, and don't you know, rev the bike to nine thousand RPM as you go as, as you exit. Going. Because although there will be maybe one person in the grounds that wants to hear that, there's a lot of people around the local area that really don't want yeah. to hear that. And similarly, there's there's a lot of people that actually want to try and protect this because it's different and because we've created something that has that 
it's that common interest which we you know you kind of we talked talked about earlier it's that this is geared towards petrol heads and anyone yeah. that's affiliated or interested in anything automotive um and, and that stems right across the whole way you know we talked about it before amy that from the art and the photography on the walls mm-hmm. to the stuff that we have in the front room to the fact that the tables have the tracks you know mm. uh, etched into them th- there's tons of little details that we try really hard to even the charity box the the mission motorsport the <laughs> tvrv uh, straight six yeah um so all, all that sort of fun stuff you know we we try to make it so that if anyone rocks up with that sort of interest they kind of leave thinking that was really cool. All the little yeah. details make it something a bit different. And it's almost become, in that, with that thought train in mind, a venue that even if you haven't planned to come and meet anyone here, but you have an interest in cars, and it doesn't matter if you've turned up in a Ferrari F40 or a 205 GTI, it doesn't matter, or even a bog-standard yeah. Ford Fiesta. You can arrive... You mentioned cars again. He's <laughs> <laughs> doing it. You can it? arrive, you can park, and you can be pretty certain that somebody's going to walk over to yeah. you and go... Oh, I used to have one of these. Absolutely. Or, oh, that's amazing. Or you can walk up to somebody else. And it's just, it's almost like a club that everyone's a member of that you can just kind of turn up and go, oh, hey, that's nice. It's herd mentality. You know, the, yeah. the reason why people support football teams is partly regional, partly through family, mm. but it's the feeling of belonging. It's the feeling of being together. Yeah. And, you know, the UK has lacked you know, a central space for petrol heads other than, of you know, on a Sunday morning, a Sunday scramble, etc. You know, mm. we know there are certain venues that do it, but it's so not popular, daily. They? They're really that, popular, yeah. but, but they're not week in, week out, every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that at any time of the week you can come down here and you'll be with your kindred spirits. Absolutely you know, right. Everyone's, Absolutely and right. You don't have to be like a John Mark car. You don't have to know everything about every car on the planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could be just don't like me. That. I just like cars. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, sure. yeah. no one's going to accuse you of not, you know, there's absolutely no test at the door. There's also, <laughs> I, I, I must admit, before I came, I've been wanting to come here for ages and there was one thing that has stopped me doing it, apart from the fact that I live hundreds of miles away, and that was fear of not having something suitable to, to come in. You get that all the time. Really? Yeah, I bet you do. And and I Because and I was scared that there'd be a bit of car snobbery. You know, oh, right, mm. okay, you're showing up in a Range Rover Sport, whatever, or whatever it might mm. be, you know, yep. or, you know, just a Nissan Micra, yep. whatever it might be. I was a bit worried. I, it's kind of the same feeling I felt before I went to Australia because I'd only watched Neighbours and Home and Away. I told you that soaps <laughs> would come up. <laughs> because I'd only watched Neighbours and Home and Away, I just assumed everybody was really well built. Got off the plane, there was a bunch of fatties. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm with my people. We're okay. <laughs> you know? But... Having had a look around and got a flavour for the people that are here, if you're if you just drive a normal car yeah. and you'd like to see some cool cars and hang out with some interesting people, you're very welcome. Mm. There is nobody judging your car. If you've got something unique, of course, there'll be a bunch of people that want to take photographs of it yeah. and you know, you'll probably need to wipe it clean afterwards. But as a general rule, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you show up in. Absolutely. And that's exactly you know, and we, we try really hard and we, we use that phrase, no car snobbery. Um, you know, we've got a big sign on the wall that says a fat wallet doesn't make you special. It, it's all of these things that we try so hard just because you turn up in something really fancy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you any right to act or behave in any other way. Um, just sort of going back to what we talked about before, people leaving. And this was actually a chap that, um, you know, reviews, Google reviews, are they can be absolutely wonderful. And we're very lucky that we have lots of, of really positive ones. But every now and again, we'll get a, a bad one. And I, I, I recall one, there was a guy in an R8 who... Nailed it past the, did a flyby past the building, overtook down into a blind bend, mm. hugely showing off. Did a turnaround at the roundabout, came back in, 
And I was just like, I'm not really sure what that was. Mm. But to- it was completely unnecessary. And I basically just said, we really don't tolerate it. I'm going to ask you just to go right round to the exit and, and to leave. And he yeah. left us a one star. I was like, incredibly arrogant venue. And I just replied to him and just said, I'm, I'm really sorry if you misconstrued the, the need for safety and protecting the local community for, for arrogance. It, yeah. It's not that. we were stood. That conversation had to be brief. We were stood in the entrance. Um, you know, and it's that whole idea of just because you're driving an R8 and it makes loud noises, it doesn't mean that you can just do what you want on the on the local roads. And yeah, we're not to police the roads; it's not our place. But we can police what happens in and around our site, and, and we try to absolutely. And John, and you, you have said sorry since then. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, and the amazing thing is, really dodgy moustache. Should, <laughs> should probably delete the review now. <laughs> yeah. Enough's enough. Amazingly, and this has been the one one of the things that has fascinated me about this place is that people do drive in that style or you know we've i remember re- reading through threads on the social media channels of people going yeah, if i want to drive up the road at yeah, 90 absolutely. miles an hour that's my prerogative like yeah. i you i well, should be allowed technically to it's breaking the law you're so. absolutely yeah. right absolutely absolutely right but the thing is if if you weren't having those conversations with the owners if we didn't have signs up saying don't be a dick if we weren't encouraging people to be sensible mm. this place would have closed mm-hmm. probably three or four weeks into it opening because you as a responsible business owner and a now you know a key figure of the local community because of the number of people that caffeine machine brings into this area it's it's imperative that you're seen to be doing the right thing and it's not because you or phil or anyone else wants to be a party pooper it's because you want to allow other people to to come here to yeah. bring their cars here and, and to enjoy it i just need to i just need to give the listeners a little insight as to what's going on here okay so so john and dan are sitting closest to each other and as john was sort of looking lovingly into dan's eyes about him being a responsible <laughs> business owner i was just hearing him say you as a very handsome man <laughs> there's that a certain <laughs> There's a certain chemistry going on that oh, Amy and I are excluded from in a big way, aren't we? This is just a love story in front of my exactly, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys feel like you're, uh, you're fourth-wheeling. Really well, I mean, I know, I know why John comes all the time. <laughs> yeah. you know, whenever he says caffeine and machine, he really means Dan. Now, Amy, I, I feel like you've been a little quiet in this one, and there's, we've missed a key point. Um, so we stayed here overnight, so Andy, myself, mm-hmm. Amy, the driven crew... Um, Amy, in your bedroom, there was a <laughs> familiar there was sight. A, there was a work of art. So a lot of a lot of the rooms, the, the communal spaces, the restaurant areas, there are paintings, there are photographs, there are sculptures. And um, what did you have in in your bedroom, Amy? <laughs> well, I walked into my room. There are there are two photographs in there. One of them was from a very lovely photographer called Scott, and then another one was uh, mine. <laughs> so <laughs> it was yeah. a bit weird to walk into into a venue to be like, I oh, this is I recognise. And that wasn't this planned. One. You no, walked into no, the room to this, see one of your own photographs. Yep. Being Exhibited yes, above that, your bed. That was that was a, a weird. Did weird you buy point. it? I did <laughs> not. <laughs> Which one was, is it? The um, it's is one, the one with, the, with a smile. With the lady. Yeah, the the the, uh, the 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 slightly grumpy lady. Um, yes. So yeah, well, I, love, yeah I think you might have told me the story about that one as well. Was it that she used to go with her husband? She used to go with her husband. Yeah, and so basically, I I, I photographed it like mid run past past her, and then um, yeah, just grabbed the shot of her, and then knew nothing about her, and then yeah, found this this um, this shot on my camera, and I thought that I like that shot, and. Um, really nice. Basically, used to be her, uh, her husband's car, who died, I think, about six months previously, and she was like, "I'm still going to take it to revival." But, uh, and she just, I just caught her at a bad point because I've yeah. ended up meeting her since and being like, 
you know, I've got this photograph of you. Would you like to see it? And she's the, the most lovely, joyous woman because I ended up photoshopping a Santa hat onto that photograph and having that as my Christmas card last year. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure I could find her to say, do you mind if I do this? She was like, that's hilarious. Can you please send me a pack so I can send it out to my friends as well? Brilliant. So no, that was really that's cool. Well. But I mean, the, the, the range of art and, and, you know, artistic pieces and photographs and sculptures that you have got is it's really fascinating because, I mean, before you guys started, I, I, I actually got to visit here when it was all being kind of like, it must have been like nearing the end of the, the restoration at yeah. that point but and I think it was yeah you guys were like would you like to have some photographs on the walls in here and that was a real pleasure to, to be asked and um yeah it's like how if you just thought to yourselves you know we need to get some of these the, these artists that are in the automotive world to come and show what what they've got because I mean looking around it's it, you've got people of, of like the, the highest level in the automotive creative side being exhibited in you know every room or every wall in in your place so um yeah, yeah do you are you constantly still on the lookout for for yeah, cool things it's, it's tricky because it's you know and we want to try and showcase that's absolutely you know to your point of sort of the reason behind it is that because it has this affiliation with with petrol heads and the, the automotive world just more broadly we absolutely wanted to just fill it with everything and obviously there's so much wall space we thought okay mm -hmm. well it would be great if we could almost treat it like a, a live-in gallery you know so to the extent where it does go to the bedrooms it's behind the bar it's in the restaurant even in the toilets and mm -hmm. stuff you know we've got like in the the ladies we've got the old pirelli calendars oh, um nice. and it's, it's just really I'll cool check those it's, out just, later. It's, it's, <laughs> it's worth a look um so uh so yeah but it's uh you do have to go into the ladies though so i'm just, I'm just there is one that's why i said the gents as well oh, is there? <laughs> there are some pirelli oh, fair play. Some, very good some shoots in there but yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's and we try to keep it as varied as we can. Um, you know, so we, we get lots of requests for it, which makes it very difficult because they're all really, really, really legitimate and wonderful pieces of, of art or photography or whatever. But we have a limit to how much we yeah. can we can put on, on the walls. Um so it's it's a really difficult one to try and sort of say no to people when it's mm. equally amazing. Mm -hmm. Um so that that can be quite difficult. Um, you know, and even just things like people asking for sort of selling third party merchandise and stuff mm -hmm. through the through the shop, which has just completely caught us by surprise. We had, you know, it, it was always a, a a want to be able to sell our own um, our own clothing, of which three or four. Come on, Andy, up the game a little bit. But three or four are wearing. <laughs> I, mean, I, I tell you what, though, I can go one up for you, which is off my own bat. Oh, so yeah. I before. do have a caffeine Lucky machine cap. keyring, yeah. which which I've had for some time. Very good. Well, Having never visited, I think that's pretty... Uh, I agree with you. Thank uh, you I think much. we're chipping in. So I'm doing all right there. But listen, you know, I'm mindful that we've been chatting for half an hour or so, and we don't have much longer left mm. on the pod, and we haven't had a proper chat about just the sort of very cool... We say everyone's welcome with ever, whatever yeah. you drive. I've just watched a 912 arrive, you know. Oh, lovely. Yay. Sorry. Love it. Beautiful. Is it um, Sai? It is Sai. Oh, it's Sai. It's our friend Sai. He was also on the, uh, on the wall. So Sai Medica <laughs> is a wonderful photographer. Oh, cool. um, yeah, that's, that's his 912. So it would be remiss of me not to say, come on, just give us a little list of some of the some of the crazy cars. Shown up, yeah, all sorts. You know, we I remember the we here on the supercar weekend. We had that LFA. Um, yes, absolutely. The F40. Yeah. XJ220. Yeah. Was, this is on the uh, same weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All wow. outside. So this was like it must have been the best or the most expensive lineup outside the front of the house. And was yeah. it a GT four GT. We had four GT. Yeah, um, that, was it. that was those four, wasn't it? Yeah, it was um, just it, it, it was one because I think that weekend. So I uh, another thing to point out is again my close relationship with this place is I am known to throw on a pink high-vis jacket absolutely. and just come and help marshalling <laughs> in the car park because yeah. I and I want to see the place you know working well and I'm happy yeah. to do it and yeah it I think that weekend to you, Dan. <laughs> it does it, really, well. it works for everyone really. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I think I was I think I I was I donned the pink high-vis that weekend yeah. to help get some cars parked up and I remember thinking oh my god yeah. and, but the amazing thing is 
you have these days where you can have an LFA turn up and you can have an F40 and an F50 and a McLaren P1 and people will get so excited by it. But then you'll see a, a Mark, a, a yeah. com- completely pristine Mark One Golf GTI. Absolutely. And amazingly, well, look, the majority just, will just run. look over your shoulder, right? In, in plint spot. Can you see? Can you see the rover? The I've rover, got I've yeah. got a it's bit a of tree in the rover. way. It's <laughs> Sam Allen's rover. Is it? Yeah. That's he's just messaged me going, Andy, I'm here. And I'm just <laughs> another point you should make is you know, like people that you know within car spaces just yeah. show up. Yeah. He's like, Andy, can I come and say hello? No, we do- I haven't replied to him yet. <laughs> but you know, I mean, how old is that? That's that's what, twenty five years old? Oh yeah, about that, yeah. 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 I can't I can't Rover's put- seventy uh, twenty five or seventy it's twenty five. It's the one with the orange grill, which is special for some reason. BRM, it's the BRM. Steve, the cameraman, is just mouth. BRM, <laughs> yes, it's the BRM edition. Steve is a lot more really than cool. the cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> Our director of production. I, I apologise, Steve. Um, but yeah, I'm looking over the shoulder. Yeah, as you say, Andy, we've got a bright Miami blue GT3 911, which is gorgeous. I can see size 912. I can see a Mercedes yeah, S class. Yeah, what, what are the flags on yeah, this? It's thing? obviously an old ambassador <laughs> car. <laughs> Which have been replaced with some Union Jacks. John, you'll feel right at home in that, won't you? Oh, well, yeah. Okay, and what's just, is that a, what's just pulled in there? DB11, I think. Oh, is, Aston is Martin it? DB11. Is it? Because I thought it was an Aston, but then it does have a little bit of, there's a little bit Lexus about the nose. Aha, uh-huh. yeah, that's the new, so this is the new shape where it's Mercedes Benz engineering that's yeah. got into them. So they're now really reliable. Um, I yeah. thought I th- it's wow. Aston wheels, but the nose is a bit Lexus, isn't it? And then, and then we've got, I can see a one series BMW. I can see a Ford Focus. Um, you know, it's just, it just doesn't matter. Right? I can see it, a couple of Mercedes-Benz GLCs. Very oh, there nice. are some GLCs. Yep. Yeah, with the, uh, was it any 46 that was part around the side? Beautifully swampy green is probably yeah. the best <laughs> the best description I can give for the colour. A beautiful BMW um, M3 E46. Gorgeous looking car. Yeah, just And it, it's things like that, you know, you, you turn up and these things arrive and you do expect to be wowed by the supercars, but occasionally something else will drive and you just go... That's so cool! Yeah. Like, what Bill's a- caught some amazing pictures of literally with you know you could have advantages or wh- whatever or like a big line of people and everybody is focused on like like you say like the Mark One Golf yeah. and they've all got their backs to like these absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing it's, supercars. It's the, it's the true petrol heads mm. environment. I always say there's there's a number of things you can look for both in conversation or in personality when it comes to when somebody says oh yeah no I'm a big car fan. But you, it, it, this what this place brings out is the real kind of intricate groups. There'll be people that come to the come to the grounds in an old Corolla. Like this mm. weekend, it was yeah. the Corolla Brotherhood, Corolla Brotherhood meet. Yeah. A load of old AE86 Corollas that you normally wouldn't ever see. And to the vast majority of people, even car fans, they just see an old Toyota. Mm. But to a to a very particular group, that's such an iconic, mm. cool car. And it's you know you can often turn up here thinking. Oh, I really like that one particular make model era of car, but nobody else will. You turn up with it, and suddenly you've got people surrounding your car yeah. going, "Oh my god!" Well, you also have brands that come here, don't you? I saw you had Lotus kind of basically took yeah, over for did, a while. Yeah. yeah, they did just before we um, before we reopened post COVID, um, post COVID, post end of lockdown. Yeah. Um, we had a yeah five day or four day stint where Lotus came because obviously they needed to get people back in cars so they had yeah. a couple of media days um and they yeah they took the site so well they, they had it all kit out i mean well. interestingly i don't i'm you, you may know because john's probably told you and stuff but alongside obviously making the podcast and making the radio show and our driving features etc we we've started doing some consulting with brands and some media agencies and stuff and doing some cool things mm-hmm. and i've recently been 
approached about a big launch, and I think we should do it here because it's, it's the new shape. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad we've got that on record now. So let's make it happen. It's it's the Vauxhall Mocha. It's, oh, got, yeah. it's got a new shape, oh, no. and I think this is the place. John Marco oh, will be the face no. of the brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you'd like it. Uh, <laughs> I can just you? see tears coming do in your you? eyes, John. <laughs> we had a JDM thing um, on I Wednesday. I don't think Vauxhall are going to use us. <laughs> <No. laughs> the talk of the town was the Suzuki Ignis. Um, oh, yeah. That was just wild. It was ace. Um, but that's the whole, that's the, that's the fun of it. So, you know, we try not to sort of go down, obviously, the Corolla Brotherhood, and um, they kind of just did their own thing off their own back. Um, che came down with a, a few um, a few of his mates, but like the JDM stuff or the Thunderbolt or the mm. Apple Appreciation Society, all these different events that we try to make broad enough for people to come down. Mm. Even the Wednesday just gone, obviously you've got Impressors and Sylvias and Skylines and all, all sorts of fun stuff around the place. And then a few guys um, came in in like A46Ss and there's an M3 and like yeah. the, the way that you'd have that interaction between completely different car communities. There Absolutely. was loads of all the, the JDM like diehard yeah. um, JDM fans and crew and they, they were all over looking at the you know all the, the different details of, of those cars as well you know they were supposed to bring in a mark one jetta but unfortunately that one couldn't make it um but again <laughs> just just a bit of fun um and, and that that's why we don't try to make it too specific we didn't want to go down the you know a specific car make a model owners mm -hmm. club night yeah because then you do start to not that you would necessarily alienate people but that diversity is one of the absolute key features of, mm. of what makes this place cool. Yeah, um, we love right. it. We're, we're having a lovely time here. Well, we're clearly going to come back. Are. And we've also got a lot to do today. So yeah. I, I just want to say, Dan, thank you very much for your company. You. You've, you've built something very special here. You know, we, we can't kind of wax lyrical enough about it. Um, in fact, John does all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, very kind. it's getting a little bit boring. <laughs> he's just like Dan Dan we're going to see you we're again see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel we should leave you to have a little bit of solo time um, but Dan listen, thank you so much for coming My on pleasure. the Driven Chat Thanks podcast we really appreciate it and uh, clearly we'll be back fantastic look forward to seeing it the Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com oh wow you've made it to the end the very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye <laughs>